I want to read you a story today from the New Testament book of Matthew. It's found in Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. And, and as I read this, try and pay close attention to the person of Joseph. So here we go, Matthew 1, 18 and following. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. I have been thinking a lot recently about what people have gone through over the past two years. Sort of like, like this pressure cooker of 2020 and 2021 that has led people to, to where they are now. Some are, some are done with their marriage. Some are, have had it with their jobs. Some, some are finished with, with church and uh, with their faith. And, and, some, and some are even feeling increasingly just done with life itself. There are, there are four of us in the studio right now as we record this message, and we, we, we were reflecting on this and even praying about it heading into this time and just thinking, you know, all, all of us are kind of having a new chapter that's being written. And I'm wondering what's best to go into that chapter. And some of this is why I've been so gripped by the words back in April of 2020, written by Aaron Dottie Roy. Listen to, to this analysis of our world. Whatever it is, coronavirus has made the mighty kneel and brought the world to a halt like nothing else could. Our minds are still racing back and forth, longing for a return to normality, trying to stitch our future to our past and refusing to acknowledge the rupture. But the rupture exists. And in the midst of this terrible despair, it offers us a chance to rethink the doomsday machine we have built for ourselves. Nothing could be worse than a return to normality. So I'll, I'll pause there. There's more to come. But, but how does that already make you feel? Like, like I'm guessing for most of us, we have experienced shifts in our, in our routine and in our habits. How many, how many times have you had to cancel plans or uh, abandon dreams or, or adjust you know, your lifestyle. Early, early on, there was a lot of talk about, well, when is things going to get back to normal? But what normal is, is best here? 
While this article isn't talking directly about the church, I think there are some insights worth exploring when it comes to following Jesus. Listen to this next part. Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and hatred, our avarice, our databanks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies behind us. Or we can walk through lightly with little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. This is where we have been, a disruption that has forced many to examine things like their relationships and their priorities. And this is exactly where an ordinary couple found themselves over 2,000 years ago, at the doorway between one era and the next. A time before the kingdom of God and a time after the arrival of the king. One that they would have to fight for by trusting and doing what God said. So a little note here before we analyze this story too far. It, it always takes caution to look at something in the Bible like a story with, and, and come up with action steps for our lives. Because sometimes the stories themselves, they're, they're simply describing what happened and not necessarily prescribing what we should do. But having said that, I think that God does want to highlight something for us today from this scene, given that our circumstances today have some overlapping realities. Like Joseph, we've been living through events that have been an assault on the comfortable, assault on the familiar. And we all know what it's like to be at the edge of familiarity, looking at the, the chasm of the unknown and, ready, and, and, and about to be pushed by the inconvenient hands of change. And for Joseph, he is awaiting the joy of a new relationship and the future that comes with it only to be shocked and probably really hurt by the news that Mary's pregnant. After all, the, the only explanation is that she's cheated on him with another man and that would have been a blind side as it would be to any of us. None of us in our lives either, we're, gonna, we're not gonna be strangers to turbulence. And maybe such troubles have pushed you today to a place you never thought you would be. Maybe even now, you're just really one bad day away from making the worst mistake of your life. So here's the main question that I'm asking as we look at Joseph's part in the Christmas story. Why do we need to look at his, his role in all of this? Here's the question that I'm asking. Could it be that I should consider the value of living righteously. Does that question surprise you? Because it surprised me, and it is surprising me. Like, I'm not seeing a lot of preaching that is, that is emphasizing the role of righteousness in an age of bewilderment. Like, what, like it's not a common or trendy exhortation, encouragement, challenge that, that we're looking for. What we would prefer to hear is a message that's something more like, God loves you exactly the way that you are and, and, and what he's got for you is going to be just as big and just as good as, as everybody else equally. 
and, and don't get me wrong, I think there is some truth to that, but I wonder about have we maximized trusting in God and minimized obeying him? Like, I think we're comfortable and good with the idea of Jesus as Savior, as we should, as we should talk about, as we should pursue. But it's the Lord part that's just, ah, I'm not hearing as much about that, and I, I wrestle personally with that a bit more. Which is strange because in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. We're looking for stable foundation and Jesus is saying, what's well, going to come through doing what I'm saying? So let's talk about righteousness. And maybe this is something God is calling us to fight for as we move from one era into the next. The idea of being righteous might be foreign uh, or even a little bit confusing. But as we see the impact it has on this key historical moment, I think there's something there for us. Look again at verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. The word in, in this translation that I'm reading from, uh, it, it's translated just, but the word also means righteous. It's used that way throughout the, the New Testament. Faithful to the law, doing what God says in the way that God says it. Or we might say acting rightly. Not perfection. Don't hear that. We're not seeing perfection in Joseph, but what we are seeing is faithfulness. So could we consider the value of living righteously amidst the time where many of us are tired, lonely, confused, in conflict, waiting, languishing, and just feeling plain meh and counting on the distractions of December to get us through? Because for Joseph, this is what he brings with him into his moment of disruption. He's already going to do what's right before God shows up with further instructions. I've looked at my life and thought about what happens when I am inconvenienced or when I am hurt. Uh, like, what, what do I do? What comes out of me when I'm cracked open? So, so tis the season for Advent calendars. And one of the ones that my boys and I have been getting excited about is the Lego Avengers Advent calendar. And so what happens over the month of December is you crack this guy open and, and each day there, there's something new in there. The conversation inevitably arose uh, because the, the main thing that they want out of this is the characters. Who are the, who are the guys going to be that we pull out of this? Who are the superheroes that we're going to have when we, when we crack this open and pour these things out? And, and the, the questions came up like, well, where's, where's the Hulk? Where, where's Captain America? Are those things going to come out? And it's like, ah, you know what, guys? They're not actually in there to begin with. Nobody put those in there. See, when we crack these things open, the only things that are going to come out are what was in there in the first place. And when we look at Joseph's life, we see that, wow, God could have chosen anybody at that time to be Jesus's earthly dad, but he chose Joseph. And that should tell us something about living rightly. Like, I, I realize this could sound like a, like a high bar to set. So when it comes to righteousness, if we don't have this, or if we want more of this, then I think there's two things we can weigh that we see in this story. 
but are helpful for us today. So the first thing we could weigh is this. Consider the value of living righteously, knowing that it's not going to be easy. In the first century, getting married involved three steps. The first was engagement. This was a formal ceremony in which you promised yourself to one another. So a little bit different than what we're used to. The second step was betrothal. This was the, the legally binding step. So you declare your intentions, but after that, you'd, you'd actually live apart for about a year. So you're legally husband and wife, but you're not yet sharing the same house or the same bed for that matter. And then the third stage, was the actual wedding, when the, when the whole community gathered around to, to bless and to celebrate the couple. So when we enter this story, Joseph is, he's in. It's not like he dated Mary for a few months, proposed to her, and, and then discovered, wow, you know, she's pregnant before the wedding day without his participation, and he could just walk away, maybe take the ring back on his way out. No, this was something different. He couldn't just move on. He, he could have, however, exposed her, which would have been serious and dangerous for Mary in that time because the law stated that the consequence for this was death. But he doesn't do that. Try, try and capture some of the emotional weight of what's going on here. Like he loves her enough not to, not to cause her harm, not to, not to bring this out you know, publicly. He loves her enough for that, but he's also hurt enough to move on. Matthew presents Joseph as a human being of remarkable spiritual stature. He possessed the boldness, daring, and courage, and strength of character to stand up against his entire community and take Mary as his wife. He did so in spite of forces that no doubt wanted her stoned, crushed to death with rocks as the law demanded. His vision of justice stayed his hand. In short, he was able to reprocess his anger into grace. Why was he willing to take Mary as his wife? He was already going to do what was right. Well, enter this message from God. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, she didn't cheat on you, but now look, whatever move Joseph makes here is not going to be an easy move. He's going to have to give up what was one of the greatest privileges of a Jewish man, fathering a child, and yet loving Mary and Jesus as if the child was his own. He's going to have to give up his family's reputation in this honor and shame culture where something like this would have been a, a cancel-worthy scandal that ruined him socially. And then there's a second dream. You can go check this out in Matthew 2. And the third dream you can go check out as well. Joseph, flee your country. Now that this kid is born, the, the, the ruler here wants to murder him. Joseph, go walk hundreds of kilometers and live in a foreign place. This disruption, this displacement, this is what he's going to have to enter. So fear, anxiety, and, and a sense of powerlessness. Like, th that must have plagued Joseph. Especially when he became aware of the, the, the threat. Uh, of, of Herod and, and, the, and the king at the time. As a husband and a dad myself, like the, the possibility of losing loved ones combined with the inability to protect them, that, that is a, a unique form of agony. So let's be careful we don't look at Joseph and say, oh, you got, a, you got an angel of the Lord showed up to him. Oh, that must have been easy. 
No, even for something as vivid as God coming and speaking to him in a dream, there had to have been, especially over the course of nine months of pregnancy and the days of fleeing with a newborn to a distant land, there must have been the inevitability of doubt. The, the sensation of eroding belief. The, the excuses he might have scripted throughout the, the, the days that followed and the months that followed and the decisions he had to make. All of that. You know, this series is called When Heaven Meets Earth. And you know what I think happens? One of the things that happens when heaven meets earth? We forget. We forget. If you follow Jesus for any length of time, you've likely experienced what I would call spiritual amnesia. I've had this. Like there are times in my life where I've had this, this profound encounter or something really powerful in my past, but later, in a more difficult time, it seems like that memory is from somebody else's life. Something that, that couldn't, it couldn't have been as good. It couldn't have been as powerful as I, as I had, had experienced or remembered experiencing. Yeah, have you, have you ever been there? Like, maybe, maybe you're there right now. I'm just like in a place where it's like, I'm just not sure if I believe what I used to believe. Again, I am wondering amidst some of that, could it be that we should consider the value of living righteously? As hard or as irrelevant as that might seem up front. When we, when we do, I, I think we develop something of a God consciousness. This is language I'm borrowing from a book called The Learning Cycle. Listen to this. This consciousness leads us to a place where we just acknowledge God is here. He is present. What does he want to accomplish in this situation that I would have preferred to avoid? How then should I think and behave so that his presence will be apparent to others who would have preferred to avoid this misfortune. See, it's, it's this type of perspective that allows you to get squeezed, cracked open, and have righteousness pour out in a way that God can use to accomplish his purposes. Like, like right now, there is somebody in our church who is in the hospital, which has got to be a difficult spot to be in a pandemic. Amidst the pain and the discomfort and, the, and I'm, I'm sure the disruption and the inconvenience of it all, this person has led three people to give their lives to Jesus and experience new life. And like, but it didn't need to happen this way. You know, you, know, you, could, you, could, you could see that scene playing out differently. To be, to be angry with God that you're there in that spot. To, to distance yourself from him. And I think that when I have done this, when I've maybe missed opportunities, it's because I've believed a lie. The lie that I have to like something in order to accept it and act righteously within it. And we don't have to like where we are in order to listen to God and act on what he tells us. And one of the main reasons is the second thing we should weigh. Consider the value of living righteously knowing there's a bigger picture. I think it's really encouraging that God doesn't leave Joseph in a state of confusion. There's, there's something more, something actually much, much bigger going on than Joseph realizes. And then God speaks. This, this doesn't mean that when God speaks or our answers prayer, it's going to be what we want or what we expect. And we see that in Joseph's 
situation. Look at verse 20. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay, but, but hang on. Have we forgotten that Joseph is act, asked to act on a belief that many, many of my non-Christian friends think is absolutely ridiculous and impossible? Like, Joseph has to believe something pretty crazy here. Previously, the belief was, well, she cheated on me. Now, the belief has to become, God did this. I, I have some friends who see the virgin birth as, as a major barrier to trusting and following Jesus, and, and rightly so. This takes extraordinary trust. But perhaps, perhaps, this is the benefit of living righteously. It puts us in a position to receive the extraordinary from God. Listen to these words from pastor and author Daryl Johnson. This is one of the things that Joseph can remind us. The living God communicates with his people. If we seek to do the righteous thing, if we earnestly seek to be right with God and with others, God will come to us in our wrestling and guide us, as Psalm 23 says, into paths of righteousness. The living God communicates with his people. So do we know how to position ourselves for that? Do we know how to listen? And here's, here's why this is important. Beyond just being beneficial for us, when heaven meets earth, it's not just for ourselves. There's a bigger picture. As God used Joseph, so does he intend to use us to carry out his purposes for our generation. I find it interesting, as I've been thinking about this the last few weeks, that God reminds Joseph of who he is. Again, in verse 20, as he considers these things, uh, the angel appears to him and says, Joseph, son of David, he reminds Joseph of his messianic lineage by calling him son of David. The child will legally be Joseph's son and therefore also legally a son of David. King David, way back in the Old Testament, this establishes Jesus' legal Davidic lineage. Similarly, to, to name him was to formally acknowledge Jesus as his son. So God is proving trustworthy to his promises way back then in King David's time, hundreds of years before from the Old Testament, about setting the world right by bringing a rescuer through David's family. And he's going to prove trustworthy through the obedience of his people. So perhaps knowing our place in the larger story helps us live righteously. Living righteously won't, like we, we know it won't be easy, but I, I also think we have an opportunity based on the time we're living in to, to really go for it. Because no matter what we do, people are going to be mad at us. It's like, well, my friends will think I'm weird. My, my family won't be supportive. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get canceled. Yeah, you might. But God will prove trustworthy. Joseph's story for himself, it doesn't go much further than this in, in, in the Gospels. It's believed that he died before most of what we read about Jesus actually happened. So the climactic moment from the bigger story, it would come later, and he wouldn't make it. He wouldn't live to see his son brutally die on the cross and victoriously rise from the dead. To do what we see in verse 21 here, to save his people from their sins. But I think it's remarkable 
that Joseph's righteousness is recorded for us to see what God does with our obedience. Like you feel for Joseph. Here's a guy who does the right things and life does not go in the way he probably wanted. He trusts God, but he doesn't live to see the end of, of his life's work, this investment into Jesus. And I feel like, though, he'd be okay with that. Because in the end, his life brings glory to God and Jesus is on the road to his mission. It's not about Joseph. There's a bigger picture. So here's a question that I want to leave us with in response. What do we want people to remember about God after we're gone? Not necessarily about us. What do we want people to remember about God after we are gone? Because what we remember about God from Joseph's story is that God is with us, that God is keeping his promises to set the world right even when our world feels chaotic. That God speaks in times of turbulence. That God can use our just and compassionate choices to accomplish good and big things that we could not have imagined or come up with on our own. So who knows? Who knows what God will do in your life as you continue to endure and stay faithful to him? Life here in, in this portal from one era of world or church to the next, and maybe even also the gateway from one phase of your life to the next, it won't be easy, but could we consider today the value of living righteously? Knowing that the Jesus in this story, that Emmanuel, that God with us, will prove trustworthy. And that living righteously is actually also possible because of the Holy Spirit whom he has sent. So I leave us with this encouragement from Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure.